Welcome to the Calvary Church Podcast. We're glad that you are here and that you can be a part of a recent service at TCC. So let's join the service, which is already underway, and listen to the message. All right, well, it is good to see everyone again tonight. Um, as you'll recall, last week we talked a lot about, uh, in this Beyond Blessed series, we talked about stewardship and how we are stewards. God doesn't really give us a choice. The goal is to be good stewards, and, you know, that's all about producing for the kingdom. And uh, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit about giving. And, you know, I, I want to kind of dispel a, what may be a misconception for some folks, because a lot of times we use giving and stewardship synonymously, uh, but really they're, they're they're not the same. Giving and stewardship are not the same. Giving is an absolute necessary part of stewardship. You cannot be a good steward without giving. That's no question. And if you still have questions on that, then go back and revisit last week and, and then come talk to me and one-on-one we can arm wrestle it or something. But, but giving is, is a component of good stewardship. But giving doesn't mean or equal good stewardship by itself. I, um, I know a number of years ago I counseled with a family who, boy, where they, they were in a financial hole. And the problem was they weren't just in a hole, but they were still digging. They were going deeper. Um, and, you know, when I, when I worked with them and looked at what they were giving to the church, it, it was phenomenal. They were giving not only their, their tithe, but they were giving offerings, significant offerings. But they were just uh, in a free fall. Uh, they, you know, and I, they, they, and they had made some, some bad decisions. They had a house they really couldn't afford. They had chosen, you know, they were only, only a single-income family, and they really weren't in a position to afford that. They made some other decisions that just weren't wise decisions. But, you know, I, I said, look, the there's only one place that this trajectory is going to take you. It's going to take you to bankruptcy. I mean, that's the only end game you have here as long as you continue to do what you're doing. And so at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if you file bankruptcy, it's, it's the credit card companies that you owe tens of thousands of dollars to. They're the ones that are going to take it on the chin. They're the ones that are going to be paying the price. So really, you're not giving to the church at all. It's Citibank that's giving to the church because they're the ones that's going to end up paying the price at the end of the day. So, and, and it, you know, I want to be very clear here, not giving doesn't solve that problem. The, 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 the issue is you've got to make good decisions in other areas, and that's what good stewardship is about. But just giving doesn't mean that you're a good steward. You can give a lot and still be making a really, really poor decision. So, have you ever kind of thought about why we're supposed to give or why God made that part of the plan? I mean, it, if you think about it, it's a, little, it's a little funny when you think about it. I mean, we kind of take it for granted because we, we know it, we've been taught it. But, I mean, let's be realistic. God, God could have a money tree right out there that we could go pluck all the money we needed for the church all the time. It'd be terrific. Just be great. I can see some great nods of approval. Everyone's looking like this right now. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he, he could. So, so why, does, 
Why does he have us give? Why is that part of the model? And a few years ago, the National Institute of Health did a study, and they had, they had people, um, they, they, I think they gave them money, and then they, they were um, re, you know, asked if they wanted to, to donate to various charities with that money. And when, when people gave, they did MRI imaging on their brain, and they saw that when people gave, when they donated for good cause, it activated the pleasure centers of the brain. So that the same areas of the brain that, that get activated when you're doing something you really enjoy or doing one, a hobby that you really love or something like that, it activated those same pleasure centers in the brain, which I, you know, it's kind of interesting. It shows that when we give, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's more blessed to give than receive. We enjoy giving. Um, what was interesting is they had some people who gave, were, were able to give voluntarily. They weren't you know, they just, they, they gave them the money, and then they said, you know, you can choose to donate to this cause or, you know, do whatever. And then some other people, they had, they gave them, you know, the same amount, and they, they kind of induced them. They said, okay, now you're going to be penalized a certain amount unless you give, you know, kind of like we do with taxes. Unless you give to this charity or, or a charity of your choice, then you're going to be penalized some. So just curious, who do you think, which group ended up giving more, those who were induced to give more or those who did it of their own free choice? You're all wrong. It was the people who were induced to give more. That is the group. When we're given free choice, we don't choose to give, which, which is really interesting because despite the fact that we enjoy it, despite the fact that it makes us feel good, despite the fact that it it. it Impact, it, uh, it causes our pleasure centers to light up in our brain. We're, we're still so stupid. <laughs> we don't do it. We don't choose to give even though it's something we enjoy. I found that very interesting. And, you know, I, I, um, I don't get in a lot of arguments with, with atheists at all, but I, in my mind I often um, argue atheistic beliefs. I have some great, great arguments with myself, by myself, and, uh, and this is one of the, you know, when I read, when I was reading this, I, 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 it just hit me that this is really, uh, in my mind, a striking against being able to believe in atheism, and I'll explain what I mean, because I'm sure you're thinking, what in the world does that have to do with atheism? Nothing. So, if you're an atheist, well, you have to believe in evolution. There's no way around it. And I know some people believe, some Christians believe in evolution, but if you're an atheist, you have to believe in evolution. You have to believe, because you don't have, think there's intelligent design, you have to believe that there was something like a Big Bang and that we have evolved to where we are. And evolution at its core is all about survival of the fittest, meaning those who adapt to their environment the best, they are the ones who survive. That is at its core what evolution is. So, you know, as the trees started getting bigger, it was the animals whose neck got longer and longer and became giraffes. Those were the ones that were able to survive. The, the poor saps who couldn't grow their neck longer, they died out because they couldn't reach the, uh, the leaves. So that's at its core. That's overly simplistic, I know, but at its core, that's what evolution is. It's adapting. Who can adapt to their environment the best? Well, over the course of human history, we have shown over and over that those with the most resources win. 
It's the one who has the biggest spear. It's the one who has the most guns. It's the one who has the most money who can buy the best food or the most money who can get the best health care or the most, or the most, or the most. Those are the ones who typically thrive. It's been happening all, all throughout human history. So what that means is those who have the most resources to themselves are the ones that survive. So if the ones with the most resources are the ones that survive, then evolutionarily speaking, we would learn to hoard our resources, and there would be no physiological reward for giving away your resources. That would have been, that would have been evolved out of our, of our psyche by this time. There's nothing in evolution that would cause us to feel, get a good, a favorable physiological reaction to giving away our resources. So, to me, when I would see something like that, it just feels like that's, a, that's, a, that's one of God's fingerprints right there. You know, we know we are like that because God put it inside us. He instilled in us a desire to give, a desire to, to invest in his kingdom, to invest in others. He put that in there. And we're really good because we're selfish. We're really good at pushing that down. But it's there. And it's there because God put his fingerprints on our life. And that's kind of cool. has nothing to do with the rest of the lesson. That's completely free. You can do with that whatever you want. But I thought it was kind of neat. So let's start by reviewing the difference between tithes and offerings. And I'm going to focus here, when I'm talking about offerings, I'm going to talk about first fruits the most, uh, or, you know, primarily. Because I think we sometimes get those mixed up. I don't, you know, I think a lot of us here understand it because it's been taught really well at this church. But um, I think a lot of people get it. You know, they, they get the two things conflated. They think tithes and first fruits are the same. And, and, you know, I understand because, you know, in the Bible, it talks a lot about tithing. It needs to be the first thing you pay. It's got to be the first, you know, you don't, you don't wait and all that kind of stuff. You don't, you don't take it out of what's left over. You pay it first. So there's, it, people kind of get the idea that it's, well, that's your first fruits. And, and it's really not. Um, and I'll, and I'll um, kind of go through that. And first of all, you can if you think about it, just from a common sense perspective, it, it really can't be because in an agrarian society, which is where the Bible was, the first fruits are supposed to be the first things you take out, right? It's the very first harvest you have, the first tomato off the, the vine, the first, the first donkey that's born. Well, by definition, in an agrarian society, you don't know what you're going to get in that harvest season. You don't know how much it is, so the first cannot be the tenth because you don't know how much you're going to have. So just common sense tells you they're not the same, but let's look at it a little deeper. First of all, paying tithes, it's not about your relationship with God. It's not a relational thing. <gasps> it's not. It's, paying tithes is a dead obligation, and it's need-based. And the Bible is very clear on that. It is a need-based dead obligation. So saying that it reflects somehow my relationship with God would be saying kind of like saying, the bank loves me because I pay my mortgage. The bank doesn't love me because I pay my mortgage. The bank tolerates me if I pay my mortgage. So tithes, but the tithe is determined by the need of the body. It's need-based. So if we look at Joshua chapter 18, verses, verse 7. And I was smart enough to print them out, my verses out, although they hope, yep, they are there. And I'm going to read my version because I think that's, yeah, I'm using my version. You can read that if you want. 
It's New King James English Standard right here. They shall divide it into seven portions, talking about the land. Judah shall continue in his territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall continue in their territory on the north. And you shall describe the land in seven divisions and bring the description here to me. And I will cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. The Levites have no portion among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their heritage. And Gad and Reuben and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan eastward, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. The Levites got nothing. They got no land because the priesthood was their inheritance. And so what God said was, okay, everybody has to give a tenth to the Levites because they don't have land. They can't, they can't, they can't, they don't have any land to, to, to get their own, to, to be able to grow their own crops or to have their own cattle. So everybody has to contribute. Tithe is need based. It is our helping support the ministry. In today's, you know, in, in, in today's world, it's, it's akin to our, our, our ministry staff. Most of them are, they, they are solely employed by the church. They, they don't have an opportunity to go out into the world and make a, a, a nice income out in the world. So as a, because of the need, we contribute our tithes for the upkeep of the church and the pay, paying the, um, the staff, etc., so, tithing is, is need-based, and it's not, it's not something that defines our relationship with God. God doesn't love us more. He loves us either way, whether we tithe, we tithe or not. But we are robbing him if we don't tithe, and he, we don't gain more blessings from him if we do tithe, because all we're doing is paying our debt. Now... Let's talk about first fruits because first fruits is all about relationship. It is all relational. It's not need based. It is all about our relationship with God. And you know, it's it's really throughout the throughout the Bible, God makes it very clear that He has a portion, and that that per- portion comes first. Um, and it starts really in in the Garden of Eden. I mean, if you think about it, Adam and Eve had had that whole garden to themselves except for. Two trees. Two trees they were supposed to stay away from. Those were gods. When you look at Cain and Abel, you know, when you read the, when you read the um, scripture, it doesn't really tell us a lot about the motivation or, or why Cain's um, sacrifice one isn't accepted. So you have to kind of read between the lines. It clearly says Abel brought the, first, the firstborn of his flock to be sacrificed. Cain, it just says he brought, the, he brought some of the fruit of his ground. So... I can kind of envision Cain kind of saying, oh, yeah, I need to sacrifice to God. What's in the cupboard? Go over there. Hey, this apple, and it's a little bit bruised, but it'll work. You know, it's that kind of attitude where I'm, going to, I'm just going to get whatever I happen to have. God says, no, no, I have a portion, and my portion always comes first. So there is this con- continual reinforcement of the first being God's. In Exodus chapter 34, verse 10 this is God saying, and he said, Behold, I am making a covenant. Before all your people I will do marvels, such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do for you. So in this chapter 34, God's talking about his covenant and all the great things he's going to do for him and for the people because he is, 
he is making a covenant, a relational covenant with them. And then when you drop down to 19 to 22, it says, all that open the womb are mine, all your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with the lamb, or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. Hmm. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. And then it says in 22, you shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. So, again, this reinforcement of the first, it's mine. In Leviticus chapter 23, 9 through 14, it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land that I give you and reap its harvest, you shall bring the sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, and he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord so that you may be accepted. So again, there's, these are just a few of the verses that con- continually refer to this first fruits. And it's talking about the first thing that comes out of the ground, the first born of the, the, uh, of, the, uh, of the animal. And it's not just an Old Testament thing. And in Matthew 6.33, when, when Jesus says, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you, that's first fruits. Seek, God, seek God's kingdom first. Put that first. I'm going to take care of everything else. Put that first. So it's not, this is not just an Old Testament thing. This, this um, covenant relationship because of first fruits is something that extends to today. Um, and there's a covenant of a blessing associated with first fruits. If we go to 2 Kings chapter 4, Verses 38 to 44, And Elisha came again to Gilgal when there was a famine in the land. And as the sons of the prophets were sitting before him, he said to his servant, Set on the large pot and boil stew for the sons of the prophets. One of them went out into the field to gather herbs and found a wild vine and gathered from it in his lap full of wild gourds and came and cut them up into the pot of stew, not knowing what they were. Sounds like like something I would do. And they poured... Out some for the, for the men to eat, but while they were eating of the stew, they cried out, "O oh, man of God, there is death in the pot." He obviously picked something that shouldn't have gone in there, and they could not eat it. He said, Elisha said, "Then bring flour." And he threw it in the pot and said, "Pour some out for the men that they may eat." And there was no harm in the pot. So for all of you who are, "Oh, gluten is bad for you." I gotta say, I don't know. Like that, gluten did some good stuff there. And then in verse 42, a man, continue on, a man came from Baal Shalisha, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And Elisha said, give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, this is really cool. How can I say this before a hundred men? So he repeated, give them to the men that they may eat, for thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left. So he said it before them, and they ate and had some left, according to the word of the Lord. Isn't that kind of cool? It's kind of nestled in there in the Old Testament. It's a precursor to what Jesus did twice in the New Testament, feeding people with a miraculous amount. It's pretty cool. Many of us don't even know that's in there. I had, forgot, I, I, I don't, I had forgotten that was in there. And it's about the first fruits. There is a covenant with first fruits. First fruits makes everything enough and more than enough. There is a blessing 
of, there's a covenant of blessing associated with the first fruit. There's a promise for the whole when you give first fruits. In Romans 11:16, it says, "If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. So if the first fruits are holy, then everything you got's holy. That's why it's so cool to be able to give that first, because now you know that everything else you have is blessed. Giving your tithes does not mean you're going to be blessed. But giving first fruits, you enter into a covenant relationship with God where he says, I'm going to bless you. That's powerful. Proverbs 3, 9 through 10 actually even goes further. It says, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. So, Hopefully you can kind of see there, and, and I encourage you, do, do your own study. Seek out, study. There's plenty that I have not, talk to Delano, he knows, there's several thousand scriptures, I'm exaggerating a little bit, a lot of scripture on finances. You can seek it out yourself and study and understand the difference between what it means to tithe and what it means to give offerings, and particularly the first fruit. So, Let's go back to that question I asked before. Again, why does God use giving? Why is that part of the equation for us? And if we, uh, let's read a familiar passage of Scripture, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. Hear what he just said? Go and die. (laughs) That's what he said. Do what you said. You're going to die. But first, before you die, bring me a little cake and afterward make something for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The flour, jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. Now, you know, when, what, for those of you who don't know, just before that, Elijah had... Um, he had, he had been by the, the brook of whatever, I'm forgetting, after, the, you know, after he called down the fire from heaven and everything was great, and then he had to run away from uh, Jezebel, I think it was, and he hides out, and the ravens bring him food, and he's hiding by this brook, and he's feeling bad. He's, you know, he's coming off this high, and he's kind of feeling lost, and, and then the brook dries up. He has no more water, and that's when God sends him. So when you're kind of reading this, your first thought, you might at first blush think, well, God sent him there so he could, so he could get sustenance, so this, this woman could feed him. But obviously, that's not the case. I mean, for crying out loud, 
God made water come out of rocks. He had manna fall from heaven. God didn't need to do that in order to provide for Elijah. What he had to do was to provide for the widow woman. She's the one who needed it. She had, she had said herself, she was, a, she was making her last bit, and then she was going to die. So why did he have to go, why did he have to have her offer to give it? What, 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 what's important about that? What's important about that is by her offering to give it, she was basically acknowledging this isn't mine. See, if we, if we don't give it, then it's ours, and it is, it's ours, and God won't, can't use what is ours to bless us. He can't. If it's ours, he can't use it to bless us. So when she was willing to give it, it was an acknowledgement that, God, this is yours, and he can use what's his to bless us. Isn't that awesome? Is that not powerful to understand? So the reason that God had him go there was so that she could acknowledge, God, this is yours, and then he could use that to save her. That's pretty awesome that God would send the man of God to that one place to save that one person. So the reason he has us give, the reason giving is a part of the, uh, the, the equation, it's for us. It, it, it reminds us, it's a constant reminder that this is not mine. And we need that reminder. I said at the beginning, these people that even though it makes us feel good to give, if we have a choice, we won't give. So we need that constant reminder of what God has done for us and who he is. He has us give because then it allows the whole to become to be his. It, it, it allows him to then be able to use that to bless us. And we give because when we give and it's not our treasure, we are less likely to worship it. That whole thing about mammon that we talked about last week where mammon is actually the god of riches. And so it, we have a tendency to want to worship at that, at that god. But when we give it away then it's not something we are, we, we, are, we are acknowledging this is not ours and we are less likely to want to worship at that idol. So, God has us give for ourselves. That's why. You know, and, and, we, and we sometimes get hung up on this, oh, we got to give because the church needs it or whatever. You know, we, we, we see this as a, everything is kind of this, the church needs, it's all need-based. And that's, the reality is the offerings are not they are for ourselves. We need it. It's not that the church needs it. We need to be able to give so that we can enter that covenant relationship with God. So let's talk a little bit about some practical steps to giving. You know, what, just practically speaking, what do we do? How, how do we go about this? You know, in, in some ways it might, it might seem simple, but I do think there are some... Uh, some nuances that we need to be, you know, kind of aware of. First of all, start with a plan. My wife knows I love plans. So, you know, start with a plan. Understand, you know, if, if we approach giving as a one-size-fits-all, we're, we're less likely to, to, we are more likely to not get blessings from it. When we just 
when we just do it as a one-size-fits-all, then we become desensitized to God's voice. The reality is he calls each of us to different levels of giving at different times. The reality is he calls me to a different level of giving at this time versus at this time. Sometimes he wants me to give more. He has a, he has a plan, and so we need to be able to tap into that plan. And if we are just, if we're just locked into, I give my offer or my tithe, and then I give my 3% or 5% or 10%, and that's what I do, and it's a, it's just a normal routine, then we become desensitized to God's voice. And I got to tell you, this is a struggle for me. You know, I, I take full advantage of the automatic withdrawal that we can do. It's, uh, it's great. That's God-given, I believe. <laughs> but, you know, there is that risk there that it's just, you know, it's just kind of one of those things. It, it just happens, and, and, and you're not really listening to God. What God, what do you want me to do in this situation? So start with a plan, pray about it, understand what God wants you to do in that plan. And then determine what you need to do to, the, to commit to the plan. You know, what do you need to do to ensure that you're not just defaulting to giving out of your margin? And that's a tough one, too. It is. You know, I hear these stories sometimes, people giving everything they had in, in, their, in their bank account or, or something like that. And, you know, that's great. I don't, I've never, I've never... Well, I'm going to say it spiritually. I've never been called to do that. I've never done that. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing challenge to make sure that I'm not just defaulting to giving out of my margin, to giving out of what's comfortable to me. We need to, at times, give beyond our comfort level. Not for the church, but for you. You need to enter an, a, 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 a place of discomfort in your giving because if you're only giving what you're comfortable comfortable with then you're only giving out of your margin and you're not you're you're you are again desensitized to God's voice challenge your comfort and even if it's something that you can afford to do sometimes we're not you know we're not called or 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 pushed to do something that's beyond our ability to afford but even if it's something you're afford to do how can you make sure that that is the first thing that mentally, that's the first thing that you're doing. How do you, you know, just make sure that it doesn't become just this easy, rote thing. And then the third thing is practice gratitude and contentment. And I, I've, I've come to believe that this is just a, a, a really a, a big secret to a blessed life, is practicing gratitude and, and contentment. You know, we... I know a lot of times people struggle with, with having gratitude because they, you know, what, what, am I great, what do I have to be grateful about? You know, I look around and I don't have as much money as anybody else around me. I don't have as nice a car as anybody else around me. You know, the reality is everyone in this room lives better or lives as well as royalty did up to about 150 years ago. Up to about 150 years ago, 200 years ago, everyone on the planet spent all their time fixing their own food, making their own clothes, doing everything for themselves. No one was able to pay somebody to fix a meal for them. 
No one was able to pay somebody to make clothes for them. Only the royalty could have, could have servants, could pay, essentially pay, not that they paid their servants, but they had to pay for the upkeep of their, staff, of their household. Only royalty was able to, to do all that. None of us. How many of you have gone out and killed your own cow in the last year? Anyone gone and hunted their own food? No. Every one of us in here. We go and buy clothes off the rack. We go and buy food prepared. Uh, you know, either going out to eat or going to a grocery store who's nicely packaged it for us. So everyone in this room, it's all about perspective. Everyone in this room, you're living like royalty, just so you know. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? <laughs> so, practice gratitude and contentment. When you begin to desire things, when you look around and start comparing to what others have, you start getting that discontentment. You start taking your eyes off of God. Whenever we become discontented with what we have, then you start putting that desire before God. And, you know, i got news for you. God does not like stuff coming before him. He really hates it. It's his first commandment. I mean, he really hates when we put things before him. And we do quite often. And again, like I said last week, thank God he's merciful. Because we do it. We do it quite often. Putting that desire first robs you of your ability to bless the kingdom. And that takes us full circle right back to stewardship again. Giving is a necessary component of good stewardship. And as we said last week, being a good steward is necessary to having a blessed life, to having a stress-free life, to having a realization that I am not operating out of my resources. I am operating out of God's resources. And in order to get there, I have to be willing to give. So, I hope... I'm still 19 seconds late for whatever it is that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm 19 seconds late. 8.14. So... I hope you have a clear picture of the difference between tithes and offerings. I hope that that's, that's been clear. If you have any questions, don't hesitate to, to, to come talk to me about it. I'm not, I'm not an expert. Actually, if you have questions about it, don't, don't hesitate to go and talk to Delano about it. He will help um, clear that up. Um, but but even, just as much, I, I hope that you really see how giving frees you. Giving is not... At the end of the day, sometimes, yes, we are sacrificing some things we want to do when we give, but giving is not a sacrifice. It is a blessing. It is what allows God to release his blessings on us. And man, am I thankful that he has made that part of the equation, that he has put in us a um, pleasure centers that are act- in our brain that are activated by giving. So... Let's go to the, uh, the app. For those, the app, the, uh, my mom's looking quizzically at me. The thing where we're all supposed to talk to each other at the end of this. Now she's looking pained at me. Hmm. So, with your neighbors, discuss. Was there ever a time that you felt God directed you to give for a specific need? And I'm interested to, you know, I'd be interested to know, how did you feel going into that? And how did you feel coming out of it? You know, how did you know what 
Were you nervous going into it and how do you feel coming out of it or whatever? So talk amongst yourselves. Okay, so you know, as I was um, talking with my mom, I realized something about this this app question. How do you feel after obeying? Um, and I have to say, I how many people get buyer's remorse whenever they buy something big? I I do all the time. Every 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 significant purchase I've ever made, I got buyer's remorse. And believe me, significant is a small number for some people. I, I get buyer's remorse every time, but. I, I don't remember ever getting giving remorse. You know, that, that question about how did you feel after obeying, I, I don't remember a time that I've given, even when it maybe scared me a little bit, I don't remember a time that I felt that remorse like, did I just do the wrong thing? So that's, that's pretty cool. All right. Well, thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Let's uh, stand and uh, pray in dismissal. Lord, we thank you, God, for your time here. We thank you for your word. God, as, as odd as it is, we actually thank you for allowing giving to be part of, of what you expect of us because that is a blessing to us and it allows you to bless us. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you do, God. I thank you for your patience. Man, it's, it's so hard sometimes to get beyond the, the knowing of this and, and, and actually get to the living of it. And you're very patient with us when we, when we fail to do what we feel is right, what we know to do, what we know is right. You're very patient, and I thank you for that. I ask you to be be with everyone here. God, help them to continue to search this out in your Word. Help them to continue to get a complete understanding of this. And Lord, help us to all uh, stay safe and bring us back here on Sunday. In your name, we pray. Amen. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people, high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.